0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Good, the Bad, the Nerdy Movie Podcast spinoff show. It is a new one. We call it The Greatest Movie Never Made. That's right. It is a podcast in which we discuss famous movies that didn't get made. Uh, of course, if you're familiar with this uh, show, you know the idea is we're talking about movies that almost went into production or started to go into production. Something happened. It just didn't happen. Now, uh, for our first episode, The Solo Show, we're going to be discussing a very interesting film that has gotten a lot of press more recently, partially because, once again, this may be in production by another director, but we're specifically focused on the original plan. This is the episode about Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon. Now, of course, Stanley Kubrick famously had a lot of projects he developed that he didn't actually make. He has his own Wikipedia page about undeveloped projects, so yeah he's he uh, he made a lot of different ideas, but uh, this one specifically got really, really close. literally I think if it happened, it would have been an interesting change in what the future of Hollywood would have been like. okay, so the origins of this film appeared to have started sometime in the mid. 1960. Some most evidence seemed he started really getting active on this probably about 1966. While he is making 2001. Now 2001 came out 1968. It had a long special effects development process, and he shoot a lot of development of some pretty complicated things. The shooting schedule itself was very scattershot from my understanding. Like you know, sets took forever to be built, takes took a long time, and so forth. It was a very complicated editing process too. So, he had plenty of time to develop this project while he was working on it. Now, the genesis of this appears to have started actually earlier, though. So, in 1960, Kubrick is brought in to take over directing on the film Spartacus. Now, while making Spartacus, he gets the idea he wants to make his own Julius Caesar film. Now, in Spartacus, young Julius Caesar is a character, but not a main character. What we, uh, and of course, uh... You know, Kubrick didn't direct, uh, didn't write the film. He took over to basically help out Kirk Douglas after another film he was developing, One-Eyed Jacks with uh, Marlon Brando, fell apart. Where, well, actually, he walked away from it and Brando, took over it. So he had a project. He had nothing to do. Wanted to make a movie. So he apparently was never satisfied with how it turned out. Partly because he didn't write. You know, he was not the writer of the film. But he sh- it's a gorgeous Roman epic. So he wanted to develop a Julius Caesar film, but by the early, but by the mid '60s, even though Spartacus was a big hit, other Roman sword and sandal films had finally kind of petered out. Like the end of the fall of the Roman Empire from like I believe 1964, not a hit. So he decides maybe Hollywood's had done too many of those and wants to move on to another great European conqueror. That would be of course Ju- uh, Na- Napoleon Bonaparte. Bonaparte, of course, famously started out as basically a uh, bastard who, through military success, rose to the ranks of general, and then from general overthrew the Jacobin government of the uh, newly over- newly created but chaotic French Republic to a lot of fanfare all over the world because the reign of terror that was going on in France was out of control. Few people were just being executed left and right. The government was so unstable that they needed a leader. And he came in and quickly proclaimed himself emperor and then began a very complicated and controversial conquest of essentially Europe. So, uh Kubrick starts developing this pretty intently. Like this is going to be his next film after 2001. He's already, he starts hiring costume designers. He starts developing the screenplay. He's got a lot of plans for this film. And what's neat about this is you can find a lot of this in a, a, a book that was published about the project. Even a, you know, and a lot of my research will come from this novel, or really this kind of co- uh, collection of stuff. A lot of his archives have been made public over the years. I think more importantly, just kind of for uniqueness about his mystery. I mean, Kubrick didn't make many movies fact, over the course of really... His most celebrated time period. He only made about five films. So, as we discussed, he had some interesting ideas. So this, so 2001 comes out in 1968. Big, big hit. Controversial to a lot, some people. You know, if you know anything, he famously took out parts of the movie because some people thought it was too long, and he thought he didn't like the way it was working with the audience. So Napoleon is an interesting one. We wondered what was the plot going to be. Now all indications imply it was definitely going to be a long movie, possibly three, maybe even four hours. My speculation is he may have planned to do shoot a four to five hour movie and edit it as he was developing it and possibly release it as two movies. Maybe Napoleon's rise to power and then Napoleon's fall from grace. He had developed some pretty interesting uh, decisions too, so the shoot to shoot the film, he had planned some shooting in France, which was rare by this point because Kubrick rarely left England, but he also had some sets designed in England. He also planned to shoot a lot of it in Romania. Yeah, so Kubrick was willing to leave England and film in Romania. Now, Romania itself is behind the Iron Curtain, so it's a little interesting he was able to work that out. But not only did he work it out, he had over 30,000 military men ready to be uh, used as extras. So he, so that meant he could have shoot battle scenes with 15,000 men on one side and 15,000 men on the other side. Now, uh, R- Napoleon's uh, history against Russia is notorious, so the uh, Soviet Union probably encouraged any film where... It shows the Russian side defeating the oppressive Western side. So He may have simply played into their political nature. Now, also, Russia had commissioned a War and Peace film, and there was a, another, interesting enough, competing Napoleon film in the works, too. Yeah, you not, never you would not believe that, that back then they used to have sometimes movies of the same idea come out around the same time. What? Yeah, I know. I mean, we are talking about an era where we had quite a few interesting ones like for instance in 1997 we had two volcano movies come out in the same within like six weeks of each other so this is a common thing so now the cast Napoleon he had about three or four options what we do know is that he did not want a big name star partially to save some budget issues so his what we believe is be his his three options were Ian Holm who, interestingly enough, later went on to play Napoleon in *Time Bandits* and in a few TV movies as well. He also had David Hemmings, who uh, apparently was cast at one point because there's foot, there's a screen there, or a screen test and costume fo- fitting footage of him, so he actually put the costume on, and apparently uh, later decided he wanted Jack Nicholson. Now, Jack Nicholson in 1969 is not a big star. He's you know more of a character actor and you know, but he has an interesting connection to Kubrick. And of course later on he would star in The Shining with Kubrick. Terry Sutherland, or Terry Sutherland, who had uh, co-written uh, Dr. Strange of and was apparently over the years developing a X-rated film that they were gonna make, had co-written Easy Rider. Now, Easy Rider in 1969 was a huge hit. Jack was a a very significant part in. Got a nominee for an Oscar for his performance as uh, George, the uh, alcoholic lawyer who hangs out with them. So he uh, liked the idea of uh, Nicholson as Napoleon. Now I don't know if that how far that came down the line, but they were definitely in discussion to have him as Napoleon. For the role of Josephine, he planned to cast Audrey Hepburn and apparently had to negotiate with her. She, I believe, was definitely interested in the part. At this time in her career, she's starting to take more historical epics and less like major leading roles because she's not the big star she used to be, even though it's only we're only about five years removed from My Fair Lady. But she's also getting... I believe she's at this point in her... Late 30s and as fickle as Hollywood is, sometimes, you know, with the change in times, not every star can uh, maintain their success. You know, some point later on, she does Robin and Marion, which is a similar, uh, you know, we're talking costume epic with that case with Sean Connery. So we see she liked the idea of doing these films. She wasn't interested in doing stuff like Charade or uh, Roman Holiday anymore. So, when we get back now, something we need to... Why did this movie not get made? Well, one that Kubrick changed his mind it was that the studio was afraid to make it. Not that they didn't think he could make it. They thought the audiences weren't ready. So, the budget was going to be probably more than $20 million, which is a lot in 1968 dollars. But, you know, with 2001 being a big hit, and with... Doctor Strange will be a big hit. He had a, a su- pretty successful box office record, so it wasn't less about that. It was more another film had flopped. That'd be Waterloo. Waterloo, another Napoleon film, had been released in America and Europe and flopped. So, if Waterloo hadn't been a flop, then they most definitely would have gone for it. Now, Waterloo comes out in nineteen seventy. So MGM, who had agreed to make this movie, decided, no, no, we're not going to do this. It's just too expensive. It's not going to work. Hollywood, America, does not want to see Napoleon. Now, in 1970, we should point out, it's not the same. You know, it's not the same as say, like 1960 when Spartacus comes out. You know, we're deep in the Vietnam War. Nixon in the White House. We've landed on the moon thing it's yeah you know, the counterculture is everywhere you know easy riders is a huge hit the box office midnight cowboy has his one best picture so we're getting you know so historical epics aren't the big thing right now it's more about these smaller grittier films so i think it, so kubrick decides to abandon the project for now so he puts it, uh, uh, it away the next thing so he quickly then said jumps on to making clock recordings which he had the rights to he could shoot it faster it didn't require big sets uh, uh a lot of it could be shot at the studio and according to everyone on the set you know he shot some insanely amount of takes which maybe the other reason the studio was worried about this because if he had shot in nineteen seventy started shooting in nineteen seventy or nineteen 19- then how long would this movie have taken? Would he have been in Romania for three to four years? Possible. So this movie could have been made... If he made it in 1970 or started making it, what's the odds of him actually having it ready by 1971, 72, or even 73? Who knows? So, interesting side fact, if Nicholson takes the part, he means he can't do five easy pieces. He can't do... You know, he can't. Do, he probably can't do Chinatown. He might be able to do Cuckoo's Nest, but by that point, who knows Would he be doing? Cuckoo's Nest? Would Chinatown get made without him? You know, th- these uh, iconic Jack Nicholson movies don't happen because he's doing Napoleon. Now. Another, so he did. He did try to contact United Artists as well. They, you know, they considered it as well. But same time as they thought it might have been too expensive. Now, I, like I said, if my theory is correct, if he had planned to make a five hour movie, they could have edited it into two, possibly three movies, depending on what how they want to do it. They could have done Napoleon Part One, Two, and Three. That was not an unusual thing to do sometimes in Hollywood, especially in the seventies. You know, we had of course the famous Three Musketeers film that was. Uh, suddenly the actors show up and they find out that half the movie has been cut out for a sequel but they were only paid for one movie so it's not you know i could have seen them easily done napoleon part one napoleon part two but you know who knows kubrick could have shot a four-hour movie and edited down to a two-hour movie just from editing unknown So uh, another thing we should probably address would be then what he after he does Clock warranty he tries to resurrect it a second time. So what's interesting we should be pointing out is he still can't seem to get this off the ground, which is kind of strange that uh, it wouldn't actually come off. You know, be nobody would want to make this movie, but. What, uh, he decides then for all the pre-production, the costuming, the location scouting and so forth to make another movie set in a similar kind of theme, which is Barry Lyndon. Now, Barry Lyndon is a, I would call a lesser seen film, at least in current time because of how its length. It's about three and a half hours long. It's a very cool, very interesting costume drama set in the 1700s. It, and at one point features a uh, French and uh, British battle sequence, and it also features some incredibly unique French filming. So, what's uh, what we most people agree is that he took his development for Napoleon and put it into Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon, of course, starred Ryan O'Neill, a very, you know not Jack Nicholson, but somewhat similar in like stature and success. You know, Ryan O'Neill makes Love Story in 1970, so you you can kind of see what Kubrick was watching, so who he was thinking for for Barry Lyndon when he started to make Barry Lyndon. You know, what I I think is interesting, you know, when you think about the uh, decisions, also, like, what would the uh, cost of this movie have been? As we talked about, probably way too expensive, but we'll never know. Now, of course, uh, if you want to get more details, please look up, the, there's a book available called Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon, The Greatest Movie Ever Made. It's, fantastic. it's a huge book you can get. Um, you know, I, Amazon's got it available for sale, so you know, check them out. That, they can give you some more details about it. It's got all the great production photos and uh, artwork that they developed for the film. So he buries it again when he makes Barry Lyndon. But according to all reports, he, in the early 80s, he decided again after he finished The Shining to try again on this one. But in the mid, in the early mid-80s, no, nobody's making these historical epic films. They're just not making the money. Star Wars, E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's what's making the money. World War II films are still partially in vogue and Kubrick decides to put it off to the side to develop a Holocaust movie that he's curious about. He also has two other films he's trying to develop. One, a Vietnam film which he does make, which is uh, Full Metal Jacket. A science fiction film, which later is uh, apparently AI. The uh, sexual thriller that he started talking about with Terry Southern, which becomes Eyes Wide Shut. And finally, uh, this Holocaust film, which he abandons because Stan, uh, Steven Spielberg makes Schindler's List. So, ancient enough, he had a working deal with Warner Brothers, so he could have got any of these movies made. He's the one who just didn't decide to make it. So he could have easily taken this to Warner Brothers if they were will and, and possibly gotten this done now, but. Something that should be brought up in 1981, Heaven's Gate comes out. A huge historical western, one of the most expensive movies, flops. And it's partially because it's so long. It's about five hours long in some cuts, and some hours cuts are three or four hour cuts. It's famous for having multiple edits because of how much was filmed and how epic and overrun that film is, so... It's well-known that movie kind of killed the idea of this big-budget epic filmmaking. That, you know. Now, if he'd gone to Europe, he might have had a better shot. But he had his deal with Warner Brothers, so he had to stick with uh, U.S. filming standards. So, the question then becomes, if he didn't make it in the 80s, who would he have gotten then? Maybe Jack, or the, uh, at this point, maybe Jack might have been too unavailable to get. may have been too expensive to get. We'll never know. I would be curious who he would have considered casting then in early 80s. You know, if he couldn't get Ryan you – know, since he couldn't get Jack, he got Ryan O'Neill for Barry Lyndon, and he already worked with Jack on Shining. So those options are out. Early 80s, would he gotten somebody like Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, would he, or if they were available, once again, you know, they might not have been available. Would he gotten someone, you know, younger, like Mark Harmon or something like that? You know, once we're talking like Kubrick liked to pick stars that are like kind of at different points in their career. Or would he gotten older and gotten somebody, you know, of a different, uh, you know, maybe in their mid, mid-30s mid or 40s. You know, would Harrison Ford have been offered Napoleon? I doubt it. I don't think that would have been the who he would have picked. You know, if you look at Big Star, you know, he liked to try to get people at at certain career points in their career. So, you know, early 80s, who knows? They, you know, it could have been a, a wide range of possibilities. Now, and if he, done, if he tried again in the 90s, I would not have been surprised if he'd cast Tom Cruise. You know, he definitely, Tom Cruise re- campaigned to work. In Eyes Wide Shut, interesting if he'd consider he originally wanted Alec Baldwin, so possibly Alec Baldwin could have been Napoleon. I don't think that would have worked, but once again, who knows? He might have gotten Gerard Depardieu. He may have gotten Jean Renault, You know, he may have tried to go for a French actor then. He, both those actors had some popularity and you know, in America too, so it, that could have worked then. Another possibility: maybe he gotten somebody like Bob Hoskins or who. Uh, Who definitely had been uh, pretty popular with a lot of different uh, directors. Anyway, as you know, as you can kind of tell based on the way this uh, wound up, the project never happened. And you know, from all the details, he just kept kind of tinkering it every now and then. But like a lot of his film projects, he just tinkered with them. So uh, I'm gonna uh, point, pop this up on our group. So if you're fans of the Good, Bad, and Nerdy podcast, you'll see, you know please join us on our Facebook group if you haven't already. And I'm gonna make a question: If there had been a Napoleon movie made in the '80s or in the '90s, or even in the late '70s, so let's say he doesn't make the sh- he decides to try to do it after Barry Lyndon, who would you cast as Napoleon? Look at some of the stars. Look at some of his ideas. You know, maybe he'd done it in the early 80s. Maybe he'd gotten Ian home at that point. Who knows? Anyway, I'd like to see some ideas who you would cast as Napoleon, who you cast as Josephine. And finally, uh, would you, you know if Stanley Kubrick had made a four-hour Napoleonic movie, would you go see it? Because therein lies the other question. Would you sit in the theater for four hours to watch a epic film about napoleon bonaparte anyway my name's tom this has been the greatest movie never made podcast please write us some reviews on our itunes or whatever option you have thanks again for listening we'll see you all next time